the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives our call to the church. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 of Revelation chapter 1. And um, we're beginning a new sermon series today, and it's going to be on the beginning part of the book of Revelation. We're calling the series The Living Church of the Living King, and the reason is that we're, we're taking a look particularly at the calls to the churches that are in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, and on the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives this call to the church. And so the living church of the living king is what we're going to be calling this sermon series on Revelation. I'm really excited to take a look at it. Revelation is a challenging book, but one that is so beautiful. And the picture of God that we're given in this, uh, in this book, this picture of God who wins, the fact that Jesus wins, should be a great comfort to us and should motivate us to put our trust in Jesus and to release our hold on the things of the earth that can be so tempting to turn away from Jesus to and to those things. The book of Revelation helps us realize how great and glorious he is so that we give our attention to him and hold on to him. And so um, we're going to take a look at Revelation chapter 1 starting at verse 1. Let's remember that this is the very word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The book of Revelation is a challenging one for a number of Christians, 
The book of Revelation, because it uses so many signs and symbols, is one that can be a great challenge for us to understand, and it's one that has created some division within the church. It's something that breaks my heart. A friend of mine went to a church in the Washington, D.C. area to serve there, and when he arrived, some people found out that he had a different approach to the book of Revelation than they did, and so family after family started leaving the church, and it created a lot of hardship for that congregation, and it was because of the fact that there were divisions among the people about what it was that Revelation was signifying. It's a book that is difficult for us to understand because of the fact that it talks about that which will be happening, and it uses a lot of symbols and vision. And and so I'm going to do my best to try to stick to the words of the text, and hopefully in giving our attention to the text, we'll understand what it is that this book is saying to us. And so let's take a look at Revelation chapter 1. And, and, and the part that's marked prologue in your Bibles, it notes at the very beginning that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is sometimes called the apocalypse of John. And, and what apocalypse means, it's, it's this Greek word that means to reveal or to to show what's behind the veil, to remove the veil from something. When you hear the word apocalypse, you might think like an end time movie or something like that that has all sorts of explosions and, I don't know, probably mostly explosions, right? But the apocalypse means to reveal. And that's why the book is translated the revelation of John, because this is God revealing things as they really are. It's a book of prophecy. That's what chapter 1 verse 3 says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what's written in it, for the time is near. So this is a book of prophecy. It's revealing what will take place, what will soon take place. It's a book that announces future judgment and future blessing. It makes heavy use of symbol and of vision, and this makes the book more obscure than most because of the imagery and because some of what is prophesied here has not yet taken place. And so we're not sure necessarily what is signified by these sorts of things. We don't know that which is figurative and that which is literal in each case. And and think about it. If you were somebody that was receiving, if you were an an Old Testament believer, right? And you're receiving the words of some prophets. And the word of the Lord came and said, behold, a virgin will conceive. And you heard that and you thought, wow, that that must be metaphorical because that's not how it works, right? Now, in the fullness of time, you'd come to realize that that thing which is said was actually literally true that a virgin would conceive, and that Christ Jesus would be born. But I think that you could, be, uh, you could be forgiven if you thought, well, that sounds like some sort of metaphorical comment on something that's going to take place. Perhaps what will take place is going to be utterly astounding. You know what I'm saying? So, so before we know the fulfillment, it's hard to know specifically what's being referenced. This imagery and the lack of familiarity with the apocalyptic style of the book of Revelation can frighten us, but it shouldn't. We shouldn't be intimidated, to quote Dennis Johnson, we shouldn't be intimidated by the strangeness of its visions. We shouldn't be intimidated by the controversies that swarm around the book of Revelation. Our starting point should be confidence that God has given us this book not to confuse us or terrify us or divide his people, but to give us light, to reveal to us the invisible forces and the secrets of his invisible plan that make sense of the visible world of which we are a part. So let's take a look at the prologue again for uh, some direction about what this book is about. So this is what the the prologue says. Let me emphasize a few words here to explain to us what this book is going to be driving at. 
So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." So what that indicates to us is that this is a book which will expose some things that we wouldn't have understood did God not give to us this revelation. It's for us to hear and then to keep. This is a book of prophecy and revelation to you that is God's will and God's word. And the purpose of it is that you might hear it and keep it and keep it. So what does this book reveal? Well, let me quote a commentator again. What, what this book reveals is that if you take a look at at human history, or if you take a look at the churches to which this letter is written, they seem poor and weak, and if they're hanging on by a thread. And in the context of all of that, the, the nation of Rome, which was the nation that controlled much of the known world at the time, that nation looked so strong and powerful and potent, and as if, as if it were going to stand forever. But what the book of Revelation reveals is that those things in the world, those leaders and those nations, those powers which seem to us extraordinarily strong, are not so. And that institution of the church, those group of people that can sometimes feel beleaguered or opposed or as if we're hanging on by a thread, this is not so because God and his ways will remain and the things of earth are like dust when compared to the power of the Lamb. Revelation is given to a church that was under attack. Its purpose, again, is to reveal the things which must soon take place, not to satisfy curiosity, not to satisfy a hunger for revenge, but it's to fortify the churches in the hope of godly living and godly thinking and being committed to the ways of God. This is a book that also reminds the church where the real challenges are. Churches at the time of the book of Revelation were experiencing some measure of persecution under the Roman Empire. There's some disagreement about how severe or widespread it was, but one of the things that's clear is that the churches that are being written to here are churches that are receiving, in some cases, real opposition on the part of the ruling or governing authorities. Some people in some of these contexts genuinely did fear for their life because the government was opposing some of them. Now, The fact that they were experiencing persecution is something that is serious, but one of the things that the book of Revelation makes clear is that the far more serious issue was that which was taking place within their own midst. Don't miss this. At a time of persecution in some of these churches, the most serious problem that was faced by them was biblical or theological error. This is true for you too. It's true for us too. It's true for the church today as well. There's a lot that's been written about the secularization of the United States. I was reading an article from The Atlantic just this last week, which talked about how the fact that there seems to be this turning point in the early 90s, 90, 91, maybe 92, where the United States as a country became far more secular. And in fact, since that period of time, the the fastest growing religion or the fastest growing ideology has been the ideology of no religion at all, of no commitment to any organized faith. The U.S. has never been a a Christian nation. Its government has always been a secular government based on the principles of religious pluralism. But Dwayne Litvin notes that that this sort of thing that happened in the early 90s, and then maybe there was another movement in the late 
2000s, maybe early 2010s, means that the church has moved from this place of being the home team, perhaps, where, where even if you weren't a part of the church or if you didn't, if you didn't oftentimes go to church, you felt like you needed to, to root or cheer for the church. You'd be like, that's my team, the church. Seems like in the 90s, the, the church switched from being this home team to being playing on some kind of neutral field. And then at, at some point, it may be that the, um, the church has moved to the away team, perhaps since the late 2000s or early t- 2010s. Not that there's persecution, as there is throughout many parts of the world, but nonetheless, there's a type of opposition that can be challenging or frightening or discouraging to some people. But the same thing is true for us that was true for the churches receiving the letters from the Apostle John in this book. The most dangerous thing for them and the most dangerous thing for us was not and is not non-Christian leaders opposing the message of the gospel. The most dangerous thing for the church has always been people who claim to be Christian and yet warp or pervert the message of God. So let me be specific. A Christian worship song or hymn that gives us a wrong picture of God is more dangerous than a secular song with all manner of vulgarity in it. That's not to say that vulgarity is okay. It's to reinforce how serious it is to develop a warped notion of God. A work of Christian fiction that teaches you incorrect things about the Christian life is more dangerous than a secular knowledge novel that, again, might have all manner of vulgarity in it. That's not to excuse anything that's wrong in a, in a secular non-Christian novel, but it is to say that wrong thinking about God is devastating and far more serious. To bring it home to me, a TED Talk can be less dangerous than a sermon, because a sermon, in a sermon, sometimes your defenses are down. And something that is false will slip past your defenses in ways that secular communication will not. And so the most dangerous thing for the churches in Revelation is false teaching, is putting up with false teaching, is agreeing with false teaching, which has been coming from people claiming to be Christians. And that's the most dangerous thing for us as well. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called The Living Church of the Living King, looking at the beautiful and glorious picture of Jesus Christ as the living one that gives our call to the church. Oftentimes, the temptation within a church is to say, all of the problems out there are out there, and if we could just fix this or elect this or that person, then everything's going to be fixed. The book of Revelation reminds us that God is in control, and the first thing to try to address is that which is wrong in our own midst. That which is wrong in our own midst. Church historian at Calvin Seminary, where I was a student, noted even at, in the times of greatest persecution, and these are not times that we're living in, not, not times like the persecution that some of these Christians were facing in the book of Revelation, but even in the times of greatest persecution, the most substantial danger for the church has always come from within rather than from without. This means that there are some harsh words that come from the, the uh, revelation to John that comes from God to the churches because he wants them to be aware of that which is false and give themselves to that which is true. 
He wants them to turn away from the ways of the world, the ways that are passing away. He wants to turn them to turn away from false teachers who give plausible arguments for abandoning the truth. He wants the churches. He wants Christians. Thus, he wants us to turn to God. And so we should be eager for the difficult words of the book of Revelation. We should be eager to turn away from falsehood and turn to truth. We should be eager to turn to Jesus Christ and live. And we should be eager to seek to address the problems in our own midst before we seek to hurl stones at the watching world. We see in Revelation that Jesus Christ is the living one and that he wants a living church. And this is why we're calling this sermon series the living church of the living king. Christ is alive and we who are a part of his church must also be alive. A living church is what comes pouring from the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. A living church is what the result is of paying attention to the word of God and living by it. A living church comes when the people of the church devote themselves to God and his ways and turn away from that which is false. A living church following a living king. Christ is alive and we who are a part of his church must be as well. The church at the time of the book of Revelation was unique. They were distinct from the people that surrounded them. And this was something that was picked up by those that were watching, those that perceived what was happening within the church. It was a living church that we see in the book of Revelation in many places. And I want to give to you evidence of that. There was a letter that was written to a Roman official uh, about Christians at the time of the book of Revelation. It was a, a Roman official named Diogenetus. This is what was said in the, in, the, uh, in the letter about Christians. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown, and yet they're condemned. They're put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified, and they are dishonored. They are slandered, yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. And so Christians, when punished, daily increase more and more. That's what a living church looks like. Not returning evil for evil, but giving back good whenever evil is received. And in order to be a living church, one must be utterly transformed by the living one, Christ Jesus, the king of the church. And that's what the second part of our text is about today, verses 4 through 8. And let's conclude our time by taking a look at that. Verses 4 and 5 tell us this. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. We're going to meet those churches again later. He writes specific things to each one of those churches as he writes this whole letter to all of them. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Note the way that God is described here in Revelation chapter 1 because it's, it's glorious. Grace to you and peace is the way that things begin. God is the one who gives grace and peace. This is why we start our services with this. Whenever we come together, the, one, some of the first words that are spoken is we stand and we hear the words grace and peace to you from God the Father. The reason is that you and I need grace 
And you and I must be people of peace. We must receive peace. And there is one source of grace and peace. Grace and peace flow to us from God the Father. You need more grace and more peace. And there's one source, the Father, who is and was and is to come. And that's the way that the Father is then described. The one who is and was and is to come. He's the one who always has been and always will be. The one who transcends time because he was before time. The one who is existence. God is greater than you because he always was. He is now and he always will be. You came into existence. You don't have within yourself the reason for your own existence. You did not cause yourself to be. In fact, none of the living things that we see on this earth caused themselves to be. All of them had a cause that came from outside of themselves. For you to be here, you needed to be carried by your mother for a long time. It's very difficult for her, I'm realizing. I don't know personally what that's like, but I know by stories from people I love very much, from person I love very much, how challenging that is. For you to be here, your mom had to do that for you. And she had to give you birth. You had to come into the world because of your mother. And then when you were young, you had no ability to feed or care for yourself. You had to be cared for by your parents, by your mom and your dad. They had to give you food so that you could grow up because for many, many, many years at the beginning of your life, you had no ability to care for yourself or protect yourself or provide for yourself because you can't cause your own existence. You came into being. Now, God is distinct. God is the one who has within himself the cause of his own existence. God never came into being. He always has been. God causes himself to be. That's pretty mind-blowing, but it's who he is, the one who is and was and is to come. And then, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Seven in the scriptures is the number of completion, and so this is the perfection of the Holy Spirit who is before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the text goes on. And this is, now we see a Trinitarian greeting. The grace and the peace that we receive comes from God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And then do you see the way that Jesus is introduced? And from Jesus Christ, verse 5, the faithful witness is the way that things are described first. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus bore witness to his Father perfectly through his sinless life and his atoning death and his powerful resurrection from the grave. And this powerful resurrection from the grave is referenced in the second description of Jesus in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. And this tells us two important things. That Christ is alive. That he died and that he rose again from the dead. That after he died, bearing your sins, if you trust in him, the, the grave could not hold him. And he got up again on the third day. Christ Jesus is alive. He has come back from the dead. Because God is and was and always will be. Because God is the cause of his own existence. Because God is existence. Death could not put an end to God. But this is important. God not only rose, Jesus not only rose from the dead. We're told here that he's the first born from the dead. What does this indicate to us? If there's a firstborn in a family, that indicates that there 
are others who were born in the family. Do you know what I'm saying? If I tell you I'm the firstborn son of Robin and Nebuchadnezzar, which I am, it means that there are other ones that were born. I wouldn't describe myself as the firstborn if I was the only kid. You get what I'm saying? A firstborn child indicates that there are other children. There are other ones that were born, right? So what this tells us is that Christ Jesus is alive because he conquered death. And there's the promise that it's not going to stop with Jesus. He's the first one born from the dead, but there will be others who the grave can't hold. Do you know who those are? You. It's you if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all of us that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus got up from the grave, you have the assurance that the grave won't hold you either. That is an incredible comfort. Because one of the things that will happen to each of us if the Lord tarries is that we will see those that we love die. And then, again, if the Lord tarries, we ourselves will experience death. And what you need in the face of of losing one that you love who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. What you need as you approach your own death is the certainty that the grave won't hold you because it didn't hold your elder brother Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead. And he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is so great that he rules not just the people of the earth, he rules its kings and its rulers. The power of Jesus transcends the power of any earthly ruler and it reminds us where our allegiance should lie. If the power of Jesus is beyond the power of any earthly leader, then I want to be on his team. I want my allegiance to be with him and his kingdom and not any earthly kingdom. I want to be in Christ. I want to be a Christian. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.